Frank, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center Center. My name is uh, Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on being established in His righteousness. And just before I get into the teaching this morning, just so you know, we all of our teachings and, and uh, Bible studies they are all archived on our website at LighthouseDiscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And so. We also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings. And in case you don't want, wanting to know how you can do so, you can simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org and go to our gift page and you can give from anywhere online. And then uh, if you want to send us a check, you can make your checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And you go to the bottom of any web page on our website and we have our mailing address there. And so we thank you for doing so, supporting us in our ministry. Uh, we will have our Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock on Infamous Change by Andrew Womack and again on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock uh, The Believer's Authority by again Andrew Womack. I also want to continue to keep making an announcement uh, coming January we've been, we've been working on uh, developing uh, Bible Academy which we are calling Elio's Bible Academy. And this Bible Academy will be free to anyone who enrolls. Uh, and so the enrollment will be free. Uh, you just simply need to go to our website. We're still developing this, so not everything has been completely finalized. Uh, even some of the promotional material has not been totally finalized yet, but we are starting to make announcements because uh, January is just right around the corner. And so um, I'm just trying to make sure from my wife we had good internet technology-wise. Make sure you're hearing me. But anyway, uh, more is to come. You can go to our website right now, lighthousediscipleship.org, and go to uh, our, underneath our, um, I'm trying to think, our, our ministries, we have our Bible classes. Underneath there we have a link to, that will promote this Bible academy that will be starting in January. We, we, we currently do have a discipleship program. It's free. But we're going to be uh, uh, kind of fading that one out and going into the new one uh, starting January. This is a free. There will be a total of uh, 56 courses on this uh, class, uh, uh, this academy. Four levels of teaching. Each, each, so there's four levels. Uh, each level has uh, 14 courses. Each course has eight lessons. And there will be uh, quizzes and what, whatnot for each lesson. It's free. And how is this being paid for? Well, we're, we're also asking for people to sponsor this Bible Academy. We're asking for people to help us uh, provide this. We have over 14,000 people who are watching worldwide our teachings every week. And many of those uh, around the world, including America, but around the world, are hungry to be taught. They want to go to Bible school. They want to be taught the Word of God. I'm a teacher. I'm a pastor, but I'm a pastor-teacher. And my gift is teaching. And Sherry's going to, my wife, will be teaching some of these classes as well. And, uh, and as we grow this academy, we might have other teachers in the future. But at the same point in time, uh, we're going to teach it for now. But, you know, we're going to teach the same classes, or most of the same classes we would have gone if we gone to Bible school. We have gone to Bible school. So we're going to re be reteaching some of those classes in our own way, our own style and whatnot. But, but it's going to be... We're not an accredited Bible college. Uh, that's not the purpose of it. 
uh, by the same point in time, it's as if you went to Bible college. And so, but not, not everyone wants to go to Bible college to become a pastor, or missionary, or whatnot. You can take this course to become that, but it's not just that's not always the end goal. Some people just want to be uh, grounded in the Word of God, and we're going to have Bible classes on almost every New Testament book. Uh, there'll be some Old Testaments as well, but uh, we're, we're going to have a lot of classes in here to get you grounded in the Word of God. And so, uh, in fact, we're going to start that in January. You're going to hear more about it. Uh, I'm going to be promoting this for a long time to come. It's free. Uh, and so, anyway, uh, we'll, talk, we'll talk more about that. So, anyway, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into our message this morning. We're in part three of an eight-part series on being established in his righteousness. I'm going to be reteaching this again in January as one of the first classes that we're going to have for our Bible Academy that I just talked about. Okay? So, but at the same point in time, we're talking about being established in his righteousness. And like I've been saying every week, there's eight lessons uh, for this entire teaching series, or course, or however you want to phrase that for this time being. We discussed in our first week, in our first lesson, the unity of faith. And this, this lesson was more of an overview of the entire uh, uh, course, or entire uh, series here. But, but we also were focused on how there's one message that, uh, that, that needs to be preached, that Paul told us to preach. So that when he beseeches us in the name of Jesus, that we will all speak the same thing. And that there's one message. We might disagree on some doctrines, but there's some doctrines we cannot disagree on if we are going to have any true unity, okay? And so, um, then we talked last week about being established in righteousness. This is also the title of this entire series, but we, we, this was kind of part two of our introduction to the, 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 uh, the remainder of this course, or the remainder of this teaching series, but we zeroed in on several things about just righteousness itself, and we, we kind of introduced some verses that we're going to look a lot more detail on, uh, if you've been listening the last two weeks, I kept saying we're going to talk about this more and less than so-and-so. And so, we, and so we, we introduced a lot of verses, a lot of scripture in the last two lessons. Now we're going to start going deeper in some of these verses and some of these scriptures and some of these concepts. So today we're going to be talking about being established in his love. <coughs> this is part three of an eight-part series, so we're going to be talking about establishing his love. Now, uh, excuse me. I have a whole teaching on love, and we will have a course on being established in his love in our Bible Academy, okay? But, so this is not going to be an exhaustive study on being established in his love. Excuse me. We are talking about being established in his righteousness, and I'm going to be connecting being established in his love with righteousness, and because that's, uh, that's the topic we're talking about. In another teaching, in another course, we will elaborate on this topic at, with eight lessons in that one. Okay? Uh, so I can teach on both of these at length. Uh, but at the same point in time, we're going to be talking about love and how it relates to righteousness. Okay? But I both I believe I believe in one sense they're both one or the same. Just a different way of saying it. But and so uh, and you'll see this more in our lesson today. So we're talking about being established in his love this morning. In the context of talking about being established in his righteousness, let's first of all define love. What is love? So with that, let's go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, we're, we're going to begin with verse 7. 
In verse 7 it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love, love is of God. <coughs> Excuse me. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, and he who does not and he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In my teaching series on being established in his love, I expound on this verse a lot more. But right now I'm just establishing the part God is love. As we're defining love, God is love. Okay? But let's move on. Verse 9. In this the love of God was manifested towards us that God sent his only son, begotten son, into the world that we might live through him. We'll talk about this phrase a little bit more a little bit later in our teaching this morning. But this love that is God, that is of not only not only is it is God, but it's also of God. Okay? And so this love was manifested towards us when God sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. Okay? Verse 10. This, and this is love. I love, you know, one thing I love about John, he gives us the answers. Okay? This is love. Not that we love God, but that God, that God, he, God, loved us and, that's a conjunction, he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is, one, this is probably one of my most key verses I'm talking about being established in his love. Because John says what love is. Not only is love of God, and not only is God love, and that is true, because this, there's, there's multiple words for love, most of us have heard that, the word that we're using here is agape. The other forms of love are verbs. This one's a noun. Okay? And God is love. Okay? But this is love. This is agape. Not that we love God, but that God loves us. Let's just stop there for a moment. We'll look at the last part in a lot of detail this morning. You know, we have, uh, we have a pastor, a minister friend, Arthur Minches. He's one of the, the teachers at... Uh, Karen's Bible College, but he also has his own ministry, Kingdom Rights Ministries, and we follow him very uh, closely and with our church and whatnot. But he has a testimony where uh, years ago, early in his ministry, he's actually from South Africa, and he, when God was encouraging him, God said, I don't care how much you love me. I'm more, and that, so some of us, that just sounds sacrilegious. Some of us, that just sounds like, what's wrong with that? What do you mean you don't care how much I love you? God's not as much concerned how much you love him. He's more concerned how much you know that he loves you. How I many of you know we can't love God, we can't love ourselves, and we can't love others until we understand his love for us. So the most important one of the most important things in Christianity is that you understand that God loves you. Because love is not you loving God. Love Agape is not you loving God. Agape is God loving you. Now, the, the fruit of God loving you is you're going to love God, and you're going to love yourself, and you're going to love others. That's the fruit. But the root of love, this is love, the definition of love, according to John, is that God loves you. Am I making myself clear? Is John being clear here? It's very specific. And this is love, not that we love God. Now, we're not saying it's not important to love God. We're not saying you can't love God or that you shouldn't love God. But that's not love. Love is God loving you. And the response to that, that 
the byproduct of that, the, 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 the cause and effect of that is that you, you, yes, you will love God. And yes, you will love yourself like you should. And the way you will love others as you should. But God saying it's, the focus is not how much you love God. The focus is how much you know, you, you know that he loves you. Because you can't do anything. In this world, you can't do anything in life. You can't do anything in Christianity. You can't do anything as a minister if you don't know how much God loves you. But there's a conjunction here. And not only is God loving you, but he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that's a hard word to swallow or even pronounce for some people. Propitiation. What does that mean? We're going to look at that in just a moment. But real quick, let me just look at the same verse in the King James. It doesn't change much, but it says, Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So not only is God is not only is love God loving us, love, let me go back to the new King James. Not love, this is love, not only that God loves us, but that God sent Jesus, his son, to be the propitiation for our sins, is the definition of love. This is love. Okay? We're defining love right now. Okay? Let's move forward real quick. Verse 11, real quick. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. That's going to be one of the effects of, uh, of God loving us. Okay? So let's go back here. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. In other words, this is love. That he, God, loves us. This is love. That he, God, sent Jesus to be our propitiation. Okay? So we're going to be looking at that. Um, sorry, my PowerPoint's a little messed up here. So let's look at propitiation real quick. Propitiation, I can go a lot more detail with this definition. But it basically means that he, he's our substitute. When we get closer to uh, lesson eight, we'll talk more about the sin offering part. So I'm not going to go there too deep right now, okay? But he was our substitute. He was our sin offering. It also means that he was our atoning sacrifice. It's it talks about the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus became our substitute. Jesus became our sin. Jesus died on the cross so we did not have to die. Jesus was our propitiation. The, the, in other words... <clears throat> this propitiation, this word propitiation is really talking about how Jesus paid for our sins. It's talking about the gospel. We, we already established in previous weeks that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. And God is saying, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and became the propitiation for our sins. Okay? In other words, this propitiation goes to our keepers, which we'll talk about throughout this entire series, He, Jesus, made our propitiation, he, no, he, God, made Him, Jesus, our propitiation, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God. That's propitiation. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. For who? Us. That's propitiation. That's, that's, what, that's how you define it. He was our substitute. He became sin so that we, for us, so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So love, we're going to, uh, let me not get ahead of myself. 
Let's go to Romans real quick. We've been here before. We're going to be here again today. We're going to be here throughout most of the series. We're going to be here in Lesson 5, 6, and 8. We're going to spend a lot more time, especially on these two verses right here. But let's read it again right now. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, the rights of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law of the prophets. I'm going to spend more time on this in the next several lessons. Okay, so I'm not going to, uh, we spent a lot of time on it last week. I just want to mention here. But I want to go forward. I want to look at the context. Verse 22. Even the rights of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. But there's no difference. We'll spend more time on that later. Verse 23. <coughs> For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Come. I want to stop here just for a moment. All my life I've heard this verse. Is this verse true? Yes. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I am no way, shape, or form saying this is not true. But some people, many people through, my, through, through the years, through my life, have preached this message, have preached this verse, have, and said that's the gospel. The gospel is good news. There's no good news in this verse. It's true, but it's not the gospel. And, to make my point even clearer, there's a comma here. The comma is not a period. There's a reason why we have punctuation. It means something, okay? It's not just little dots and tittles, okay? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, comma, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The word justified is the same word, or comes from the same root word, of righteousness. They are synonymous. They are basically the same word, uh, just to, uh, just um, translated different words. Okay, for all have sinned. They're they're synonymous. I think that's a good way of saying that. For all have sinned and fall short of God. Being yes, we've all sinned. Yes, we've all fall short. But that's not where the story ends. We've all been justified if we've received Jesus Christ. We've been justified freely. It's free by His grace. Grace means you can't earn it. If you can earn it by your performance, it's not grace. That is an oxymoron. Okay? Freely by His grace through the... Re How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Coming January... Now, I'm not talking about the Bible, Bible Academy right now, but, come, but we will have a class on this in the Bible Academy... But coming January, I'm going to be doing a teaching series on our eternal, eternal redemption. So I'm going to spend a lot more time on this coming January. Okay? Let's move forward now. Verse 25. Whom? Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ. Okay? There's still comments. He's not done talking here. Okay? For whom God set forth as a propitiation. There's that word propitiation again. By his blood. Through faith to demonstrate his, <coughs> excuse me, to demonstrate his righteousness, because his forebears God, considering his forebears God had passed over sins that were previously committed. I believe I'm missing an end here. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tackle this entire verse right now. Right now, I'm focusing on this propitiation. That's what we're talking about. We, we've already nailed this pretty harsh uh, or heavy, uh, and in First John four ten. So. 
in this whole context, and we're going to spend a lot of time on this, this context, uh, Paul's saying, God set forth Jesus as our propitiation by his blood. His blood was our propitiation through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. This propitiation demonstrates his righteousness. I'm going to come back to this, okay? But let's go to verse 26 real quick. To demonstrate at the present time, that's now, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier. Those just and justifier are also another word for righteousness of whom had of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's available to everybody, but you have to believe in Jesus. You have to receive it by faith. It's his grace, but you we are saved by grace through faith. Not of our own works, unless we should boast. We can't boast of what we've done. We can't boast that we've left, kept the Ten Commandments. We can't boast that we, well, we we can't boast what we've done. We boast in what Jesus did by his blood, by his propitiation, by the demonstration of his righteousness. We are the righteous God in him. You are not righteous outside of Jesus. That is called self-righteousness. And the Bible calls that filthy rags. I am not a filthy rag. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because his blood, my propitiation, demonstrated that I am righteous. Because God had demonstrated at the present time that I am righteous. Because my king, my savior, my propitiation was just and justifying declaring me righteous. Okay? Because I have faith in my Jesus. My, and who's Jesus? He's my propitiation. He's my substitute. He who knew the sin became sin that I might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. And Jesus was just and justifying me by his blood. And that has been demonstrated through the cross. That has been demonstrated. Love is this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and became our propitiation. God demonstrated not only his righteousness, God demonstrated his love. They're synonymous. Okay? Let's go back to 25, verse 25. Whom God has set forth as a propitiation for his blood. And a, whom God has set forth as a propitiation by his blood. It's his blood that makes you righteous. It's his blood that justifies you. Not your obedience. I'm all about obedience. I'm all about holiness. You know, I, I haven't done everything right. I we had something in the business that went wrong on Friday, and I didn't act. I didn't handle it well. <laughs> I got upset. <laughs> I said some things I shouldn't have said. But and, and I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not justifying my actions. But I am saying that my Jesus has justified me. Okay? Whom God has set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Okay? And connecting all of this that we're reading right here in Romans 3, verses 24 to 26, specifically today, with this verse that we already have uh, hammered really good. And, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for us. This is love. This is love. That God sent Jesus to be our propitiation. 
and just as propitiation demonstrates his righteousness. I'm sorry. Sorry, I said it wrong. I am thinking I'm doing it. I'm sorry. Let's go back to the one. This is love that he sent Jesus to be as a propitiation for our sins. And Jesus, as a propitiation, demonstrated his righteousness. I'm connecting this propitiation to righteousness. I, and because this is love, because propitiation is love, love is God's demonstration of righteousness. We, we need to let the Bible to interpret the Bible. Okay? And that's what the Bible says, because John says it very clearly. This is love, not that we love God, that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. This is love. And love is demonstrated in me being righteous. Okay? I'm not righteous because of what I did. I'm righteous because I believe in what he did. Okay? Let's go. But, but we, we've been tackling this verse in verse John 4, 10. Let's go, let's, let's go a little further in verse 16. And we have known and believed the love. What love? Well, we just talked about it. We've been t- John's been taught... John talks about love a lot in all five of his books. We don't think of John writing five books, but he did. He wrote First John, Second John, Third John, and uh, Third John, four books. Excuse me. <laughs> okay, I can't add. But anyway, he's, by context, he's talking about love, <clears throat> and then he goes, "We have known and believed it. We need to know. We need to know this love, and we need to also believe it. It's not enough to just know it. And you can't believe something you don't know. Okay, and." But we have known and believed the love of God that God has for us, but God is love. He said that in verse 8, and he says it again here in verse 16. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Why is that true? Because God is love. If you abide in love, you abide in God. If you abide in God, you're abiding in love. They're one and the same. Okay? We'll spend more time on that later in another teaching. Verse 17. Love has been perfected. We've been looking at that word perfected in the last two weeks. Among us, in this, there's a colon. You know, one thing you've seen about me, for me already, if you don't know me already, I, I pay attention to punctuation. <coughs> love has been perfected among us in this. How has love been perfected among us? That we have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Why? Why is this verse true? Why has love been perfected in, in this, that we may have boldness? How do we have boldness in the day of judgment? Why, do, or in other words, because I'm asking a why question, why do we have boldness in the day of judgment? Why do we, as he is, are we in this world? Let's look at that real quick. Why? Sometimes we just have to stop and we read over scripture real fast and we don't ask some questions. Sometimes we need to ask some questions. Why is this true? Why do we have boldness in the day of judgment? Why? What's the day of judgment? The day of judgment is, is when God's going to judge the world. Why do we have boldness? And why, as he is now, currently, are we in this world? Why is that true? Because this is love that he sent Jesus to be our propitiation. Jesus was our substitute. Okay? Because it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sent for us, that we might become the righteous of God. See, Jesus became our sin. This is, what I'm sharing right now is very important. I'm going to connect a lot of dots right now. 
Jesus became our sin, did he not? He, 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 he who did no sin to be sin for us, he became sin, okay? We became his righteousness, okay? This is love. We've been establishing that, okay? But First John 4, 17 says, again, and love has been perfected among us in this, that we may be, have boldness in the day of judgment, because he as he is so in this world. Why? If Jesus became our propitiation, and if Jesus became our sin, and if Jesus crucified our sin because he became our sin, and if sin is dead, we talked about this a lot last week, we have boldness in the day of judgment. Why do we have boldness in the day of judgment? Because our sin was already judged in Jesus, our propitiation, which is love. I want to say this again. I want to back up. We have boldness in the day of judgment because why? Because our sin was already judged in Jesus as our propitiation, which is love. God is not going to commit double jeopardy in judging the same sin twice. If God judges you for your sin, if you replay Jesus and receive Jesus and you... God judges you for your sin, then he is actually spitting on the cross. And he's saying that Jesus did nothing. And God is not going to do that. God cannot judge the same sin twice. Jesus came as your propitiation. He crucified. He became your sin. He crucified your sin. He buried your sin. We talked about this in very detail last week in Romans 6. And we became the righteousness of God, not in ourselves, but in Christ Jesus. We became born again, not a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed by the word of God. 1 Peter 1.23 if, if we are the righteous of God in Him, as He is righteous, do you believe Jesus is righteous? Do you believe Jesus is righteous? Did He have to become righteous? No, He always was righteous. He... He, he's not born of Adam's seed. He's born of incorruptible seed. There's no corruption. Not only did Jesus not commit a sin, in, him, in his seed there is no sin. He did not come from Adam. The, the seed comes from the male. And when we, we're getting into the Christmas season right now, and we know that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and she was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The seed did not come from Mary. The seed came from the Spirit of God. And there was no sin in it. And not only that, he never committed sin. And as he is righteous, so are we in this world righteous. As he is righteous, so are we righteous in this world. This is huge, folks. God wants you to know his love. And this is his love. His love is not just a, it's not Holy Spirit goosebumps. I'm not against Holy Spirit goosebumps. I've experienced those too at times. But it's not about that. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling. I'm not against a warm, fuzzy feeling. I love it when I feel warm and fuzzy. <clears throat> okay? But it's deeper than that. It's Jesus became my sacrifice. For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only begotten son. This is love. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we celebrate Easter. 
This is the core of Christianity, that Jesus came to be our sin so that we can be in right relationship with God. Just that's love. We, we didn't want anything to do with God. We were alienated from the life of God. But Jesus came and took the... God loved us, but he couldn't have a relationship with us because of sin. So Jesus became that sin so that we could be in right relationship with God. Let's go back to verse John. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is righteous, so are we righteous in this world. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loves us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We're talking about love. And last week, and we're going to look at this verse a lot more in the future, in our weeks, but love, the love of God that we're talking about, compels us because we come to this judgment, we come to this conclusion that if one died for all, then all died. We talked about this last week, but I'm bringing what we're talking about because we're talking about love. This love, if we understand everything we've just been reading in the previous verses, this brings a whole new dimension to this verse, this, this passage of Scripture. Okay? Then all died. It goes on to say, therefore from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. Why? Because our flesh died. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, what does that mean? Well, some of these, these writers knew Jesus in the flesh in his, their era. We have, most of us may not be able to connect with that because uh, we, we have not seen him in the flesh. And there's some other means. I'm not going to go deep with that. But we regard no one according to the flesh. Why? Because we're the righteous God in Christ Jesus. We are not just flesh and blood. We are born again. Being born again has nothing to do with flesh and blood. Jesus told Nicodemus, unless you become born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot even see the kingdom of God. What is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. We are born of God. Okay? Knowing this, that our old man, we talked about this last week. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is free from sin. We spent a lot of time talking about how we were dead. We've been crucified with Christ. Now then, verse Romans 6, verses 8 and 10. And now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him, for in that he died, he died unto sin once. Jesus is not dying over and over and over again. He died once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Verse 11 kind of sums it up. And he says, Likewise reckon ye so, you, you reckon Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive to God through Christ Jesus, or through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay? And I can't spend a lot of time on this, because I'm just trying to bring what we talked a lot about last week into our lesson this week. Okay? But let's go back to First John. There is no fear in love, but perfect love, what's love? That he loved us and became our propitiation. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. I did a series earlier this year about experiencing faith. Fear is the opposite of faith. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Either you're in faith or you're in fear. Most of us have a little bit of both. It's a mixture. 
and we find ourselves going nowhere because we're going in both directions at the same time. If if you had a wagon with a team of horses, a two a team of horses on one side of the wagon and a team of horses on the other side of the wagon, and they both pull the wagon, the wagon's not going to go anywhere. Okay. And some of us have faith going one direction, fear going the other direction, and we're wondering why it's not working. Because it can't. It, you can't go in two directions at the same time. Okay? Um, he who fears has not been made perfect in love. What's love? Love is that he loves us and became our propitiation. So you cannot operate in faith if you are not perfected in what he's done for you. We already established in Romans 1, 16 that the gospel reveals the righteous God from faith to faith. But the just shall live by his faith. Okay? We love him because he first loved us. We're going to talk about this just a little bit more in just a moment. Let's go back to verse 17 real quick. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness to the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. We're going to come back to some of this in just a moment. But I want to go backwards. We're in 1 John 4. I want to go back to 1 John 3. 1 John 3, verse 21 says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. Isn't that true? If your heart doesn't condemn you, you have confidence towards God. How many of you know that when you... Just to say you have odds with, with another person, a family member, a friend. Do you have confidence to approach them, or do you just feel a little odd, feel a little weird? Okay. When Adam sinned, who hid? Did God hide from Adam, or did Adam hide from God? Adam hid from God. Why? He didn't have confidence towards God. Why? Because he had sinned. When his heart was condemning him. But if our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence towards God. Verse 22. And whatever we ask... We receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in sight. This is where a lot of us feel disqualified. <laughs> Most of us feel disqualified from this promise because we have not kept all of his commandments perfectly. And we feel like that's an awesome promise. Whatever you ask, you receive from him. But it's based on if we keep his commandments. <laughs> and some of us feel like we just, we're disqualified because we haven't kept his, his commandments. Okay? This unbelief, this fear prevents us, this lack of confidence, another way of saying it, prevents us from receiving from God. Because it says, beloved, if, that's a condition, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him. If you have confidence towards God, you can ask whatever you ask, and you receive from Him. But, you, but there's also a condition that we, because we keep His commandments. Okay? This unbelief, this lack of confidence, prevents us from receiving God. But again, I love John because he, he always defines himself, finds what he's trying to say. Let's go to verse 23. And this is a commandment. Because we already told, he told us what love is. Now he's going to tell us what the commandment is. The commandment is that we should believe in the name of Jesus' his Son. Believe on the name of, Jesus, on, on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. And love one another as he gave his commandment. Verse 24. Now he who keeps his commandment abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Okay. We've already established this is love. That not, it's not that we love him, but that he loves us. 
This love is love that he sent Jesus to be our propitiation. We're seeing in verse John 3, this is a commandment. That we believe on the name of Jesus and that we love one another as he's given us commandment. Okay, that's what he said here in verse 23 and 24. Um, sorry, get my bearings here. And this is a commandment that we love, that, that we believe on Jesus. So basically, the commandment is that we believe on Jesus and that we love one another. Okay? I'm going to take what I just said here. We're going to talk about faith real quick. Faith works through. Galatians 5 6 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. I feel like I just need to back up for a moment. Sometimes we think the commandment is keeping the Ten Commandments. And that, that's a whole teaching. We're going to get a little deeper on this and future lessons talk about the law. The law does not reveal the righteousness of God. It reveals our sin. We are talking New Testament. The New Testament commandment. And some people think there's no commandments in the New Testament. Well, John didn't, didn't get that memo. Because he said, this is a commandment that we should believe on Jesus. And the result of that, I believe, is loving one another. John said, and it's very harsh in some of his scriptures, that if, how can you say you hate your brother whom you have, and I'm going to paraphrase, who you can see, but who you love God who you don't see. He actually says that in verse John chapter 4, verse, uh, I think it's verse 20, right after, just where we left off, the very next verse. But faith works through love. Faith works through love, okay? Faith always expresses itself through love. Always. Love, love produces trust. Okay? We trust those we know love us. It's hard, to, it's hard for me to trust someone who I am questioning whether they love me or not. And I understand there's different... I'm not talking about agape right now so much. But my wife is going to love me on a totally, totally different level than any of you are. Okay? And, and people, there are people who, see, Jesus had the multitudes, he had the 70, he had the 12, he had the 3, and he had the 1. There's different levels of relationships. We have families, we have families and members that we're close with, we have family members we're not close with. Some of us, a lot of us actually, I think, are closer with people we work, we see every day than we are with people we see once or twice a year. <clears throat> you know, but that's, there's all different levels of that. But we trust those we know love us. Okay? Those who struggle with faith have a deficiency in knowing his love. If you are having a faith problem, you actually have a love problem. Because faith works through love. This deficiency affects our lack of confidence. This deficiency affects our lack of boldness. <clears throat> you can't have boldness about something you're not confident about. You can't have if you are not trusting, when you have boldness, um, sorry, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought. When, you know, this lack of confidence, this lack of faith, this lack of trust, will affects your confidence, affects your boldness. You know, I can't teach on a doctrine, I can't teach on a subject that I'm not confident about. I can't do a job that I'm not comfortable doing on my own. But something that I can trust, whether it's trusting how to do something, whether it's trusting somebody, or trusting whatever, I, I need 
confidence to do it boldly. I need to do, is that making make, make sense? Okay. But if we don't have confidence, we're going to be wishy-washy. We're not going to be bold. We're going to be complacent. We're, I mean, we're going to be, we're going to be, <coughs> um, procrastinate. We will uh, vacillate. We will do all kinds of things. But let me get out my soapbox here for a moment. First John three twenty one. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Again, this, un- this unbelief, fear, prevents us from receiving from God. And he gets, when I'm saying this is a commandment that we should love, that we should believe on the name of Jesus and love one another. This is a commandment that we believe on Jesus. I want to focus on that one. We think the commandments in the New Testament is still keeping the Ten Commandments. Now, I'm not against the Ten Commandments. I believe we still don't murder. I believe we still don't commit adultery. I believe that we don't. I'm not against any of the commandments. But you do not become saved. You do not become righteous because you kept the commandments. You keep the commandments because you are righteous. Okay? There's not, the, raw, the law is holy. And if you read Hebrews chapter 9, what made the law holy? The blood of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb. The only thing that can make anything holy, including the law, is the blood. Without the blood, the law wasn't holy. Okay? And so, there's only one thing that can make you holy, and that's the blood of Jesus, your propitiation. Okay? I'm all about keeping the law, but not to become holy. I'm about keeping the law because you are holy. If you are holy, you're not going to murder people. You're not going to bear false witness. You're not going to cheat. You're not going to steal. You're not going to do uh, many other things. Okay? But this is a commandment that we believe on in the name of Jesus. Okay? Let's take this back into verse John. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears is not made perfect in love. See, we're talking about faith working through love. Faith always expresses itself through love. And those who struggle with faith have a deficiency in knowing his love. And this deficiency affects our lack of confidence. I'm hoping I'm making sense with this. But when we are perfected in love, we're not going to have fear. We're not going to have hope. We are going to be able to believe in the name of Jesus. And because we have received his love, we can love one another. And by then we are keeping his commandments which is believing on Him. Because believing on Him is the opposite of fear. Faith and fear are not synonymous. They are opposites. I want to go back here real quick to verse 18. Uh, He who fears has not been made perfect in His love, which is our propitiation. We need to love, when we love Him, when we believe on His name, faith works through love. You can't believe in Jesus. You can't believe on the name of Jesus without knowing his love. Okay? And that's why I'm focused so much on love. Because if you don't understand righteousness, you don't understand the gospel, you don't understand it because you don't understand his love. Some of you might be asking, where do I start? You start with getting to know his love for you. His propitiation for you. Because the gospel reveals... His righteousness. And when you know His love, when you have been perfected in His love, 
you will have confidence toward God. Why will you have confidence toward God? Because we already established that we will have boldness in the day of judgment. Because Jesus already became our sin. And if you are establishing the fact that Jesus already became your sin and gave you so that you can become the righteous of God, you have boldness. You have confidence before God. And therefore, you know that whatever you ask, you receive. Because you have kept his commandments of believing on Jesus and loving one another. How do you do that? Because he loved you. When you know that he loved you and you are established, when you know to believe this love that's been perfected among us, verse uh, John 4, 16, which we talked about, you can have boldness in the day of judgment, and as he is, so are you in this world. And all of that adds up to say that you will you are believing on the name of Jesus, and you are keep loving one another. You, how do you love one another? How do you love God? How do you love yourself? Because he loved you. When you are establishing how much he loves you, you, you don't have to try to love one another. It's just going to ooze out of you. You will love people more accidentally than you did on purpose when you know how much he loves you. So many people are trying to do good by loving one another in their own strength. And that is noble. That is nice. That is good. But it's better when it's just coming out of an overflow of you knowing how much God loves you. Faith works through love. And we love one another because he first loved us. It just, it just happens. You cannot hate others. You cannot do wrong to others. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness. Goodness, kindness, gentleness is going to ooze out of you because it's the fruit of the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse, uh, I'm quoting right now from Galatians chapter uh, uh, 5 verse 16 and uh, the fruit of the Spirit verses 22 to 23. When you've been perfected in Jesus, when you've been perfected in God who is love, when you've been perfected in that he loved you became your propitiation, you will love, believe in his name, and you, because faith works through love, you, you, and you will love one another. And you'll have confidence with God, and you can ask, know that you will receive whatever you ask. Because faith works through love. And faith always expresses itself through love. It always does. It doesn't have an off day. Faith doesn't take a vacation. Faith, it doesn't have, it just works between 9 and 5, or once you get tired, you say, faith, faith doesn't work no more. No, faith always expresses itself through love. Those who struggle with faith have a deficiency in knowing his love. Now, I might be strong in my faith and love right now, but there have been times, even as a pastor, I've taken my eyes off the word of God, the love of God, and in the moment, I got into fear. In the moment, I got into the flesh. That does not make it right that just tells me I need to get my focus back on Jesus. When I have messed up, when I have done wrong, when I have said wrong, that doesn't make it right, but I need to get my... How do I fix it? I get back with Jesus. I get my eyes back on Jesus. And He is my permission. He cleanses me from all unrighteousness. He comes and cleanses me again. He comes and refreshes me. He says, instead of shame, you shall have double honor. He comes and refreshes He restores my soul. Psalm 23. He leads me. He, he corrects me. He might chasten me at times. But He will do it by His mercy and by His love. Anything that's not of faith is sin. Anything that you're not trusting God in, 
form. You cannot minister. You cannot be a good husband, a good wife, a good mother, a good father, a good grandmother, a good anything, a good employee, a good employer. You can't be a good anything without faith. And anything that's not a faith is sin. Anything that's not a faith. It's not just what you don't do wrong. It's not also what you don't do right. Anything that's not a faith is sin. And the just, the righteous, lives by his faith. And faith works through love. You can't, anything that's not a faith is sin. But you can't operate faith without love. Without knowing his love for you, you cannot operate in faith. And by that, you are in sin. I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm saying that to liberate you. This deficiency affects the lack of confidence. A lack of confidence is a lack of faith. And in one sense of the word, it's sin. Because faith ain't connecting confidence with faith. That making sense? Okay. But his love compels us. It compels us. Because we judge this. We come to that one die for all, then all die. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold. We're going to look at this a lot more intently next week. Behold. All things have become new. I have a whole lesson next week on this, just this one single word, behold. We're going to look at this more next week. Because First John 4, 16 says, And we have known and believed. There's something that we need to know, and there's something that we need to believe. We, in our last teaching series, we're talking about the four prayers of Paul. There's something Paul wants us to know. We need to know and believe the love that God has for us. For God is love, and those who abide, abide in love, abide in God, and God in Him. Verse 9 says it this way, And this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God was sent, has sent His only Son, begotten Son, into the world, that we might live through Him. Paul said it this way. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. The word faith and love are used again. Paul uses the word faith and love synonymously. Because he lives the life that he now lives by faith. In the Son of God who loves him. Love, faith, works by love. He lives his whole entire life by faith in the one who loved him. We are to live through him. We're not supposed to live without him. Because anything without him is sin. Okay? And so, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Okay, I forgot where I was going with this. But let's just pick it up from us here, okay? I think we just went back to Corinthians. Now all things are God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We talked the last several weeks about how there's two ministries. The ministry of death and condemnation compared to the ministry of the spirit and righteousness and the ministry of reconciliation. This reconciliation is mentioned here in 2 Corinthians 5.18. The other four were mentioned in two chapters earlier, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. We talked about that in a lot of detail the last two weeks. But this reconciliation comes up again here. Okay? Verse 19 says, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. 
So we have the ministry of reconciliation, and we have the word of reconciliation. And then verse 20 says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, and so God will plead you through us. We implore you in Christ's behalf to reconcile God. Now this whole passage in 2 Corinthians 5, we have spent a lot of time in the last few weeks, and we're going to keep referring to it. And the, the conclusion of this is verse 21, where he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteous God in him. My point is, I'm trying to get to right now, I've, I've, been, I've been dissecting all these verses in a lot of different ways. Right now, I'm focused on we have a ministry. We dealt with this a lot last week, but I want to address it again this week from a different uh, point of view, okay? Because we also addressed last week, therefore, since we have this ministry. Where 2 Corinthians 4.1, he just mentioned a few verses earlier that he comparing the ministry of death and condemnation with the ministry of righteousness in his spirit. Okay? We have this ministry. What ministry? The ministry of righteousness. The ministry of his spirit. The ministry of reconciliation. Okay? Our ministry is a ministry of righteousness. Our ministry is a ministry of his spirit. Our ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. But not only do we have a ministry, you know, now let me just say this, the word ministry can mean to serve, but the ministry in this context means administration. You know, in our government, for example, President Trump had the, the Trump administration. President Reagan had the Reagan administration. It's an administration. We have the administration of Going back, we had the ministration of righteousness, we had the ministration of his spirit, and we had the ministration of reconciliation. But not only do we have a ministry, we also have a word. The word of reconciliation. And in 2 Corinthians 5.19, we are his ambassadors. Ambassadors. We are a representation of God. Folks, we have a ministry, we have an administration, we have a calling, we have a word, we have an ambassador. I'm tying, what I'm trying to tie in right now, I'm going back to even lesson one, we, the unity of the faith. We, we, have, we have one message. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of righteousness. And we have a word of reconciliation. We have an administration of reconciliation as an ambassador's. We are to believe on the name of Jesus. I'm trying to tie a lot of things together right now. In 1 John 3, 23, we are, the commandment is that we are to believe on his name and love one another as himself. And when we are established in righteousness, when we are established in his love, we have an administration to be his ambassadors to give this word of reconciliation. To give this word and ministry of righteousness to the world. To preach this gospel, reconciling people to God. That is our purpose. That is our ministry. That is our ordination. That is what we're here for. This love compels us to preach the gospel. It's in the same context. He actually started this context and that we have the... Because he died for all. Because this love compels us to preach this word and ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors of God. 
am I making sense? This is, look, there is no higher calling. There is no higher administration. You say you have a word from God? I do too. That's called a word of reconciliation. Be reconciled to God. This is love. And this love compels me to preach this gospel. The gospel reveals his righteousness. And going back to Hebrews, where we were a couple weeks ago, we're going to spend more time with it later, but for this, by this time you should ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principle. What's the first principles? The word of righteousness. Those who are not preaching this gospel, those who are not ambassadors of this message, they are still babes. They are not teachers. Folks, we are... If we're mature believers, if we're mature Christians, then we need to be teaching people the word of reconciliation, the ministry of righteousness, which is the ministry of the Spirit, which is the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors to preach this gospel. I'm not, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I am not interested in hearing a pastor, a minister, an evangelist, especially an evangelist. If you're an evangelist, you need to be preaching Jesus. What else are you evangelizing? If you are not evangelizing Jesus, then what? Who are you? Are you evangelizing another way to be saved? There's only one message. There's one message we need to be preaching. Paul beseeches in the name of Jesus that we would all preach the same thing. We have a word. We have our ambassadors to preach. I'm not. I won't let me finish my thought. I'm not interested in talking about a bunch of other stuff. I'm here. I know there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. I know there's end time events happening. I'm not saying we can't talk about it to a certain degree, but I'm here to preach Jesus. Because there's only one name by which the world will be saved, and that is the name of Jesus. They're not going to be saved by your doctrine about end times. They're not going to be saved by your doctrine about the gifts of the Spirit, which I believe in. They're going to be saved because they heard the gospel. They heard the gospel, believed the gospel, and were saved. That's how it was done in the book of Acts. Time and time again. There was no other formula. There was no other way. They heard the message. They heard them preach about Jesus. They were kept in the heart. They were, they were saved. They were baptized. And they believed in Jesus. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm here to preach Jesus. Time is short, yes. And because time is short, because we are in the last of the last thing, we need to preach Jesus. Nothing else is important. We can preach on it, but we have to have a foundation of Jesus. Yes, no sin. Yes, if they haven't received Jesus, they're going to hell. But don't preach about hell. It's true. I'm not downsizing it. But you don't scare someone to hell because fear brings torment. We are not tormenting people to receive Jesus. We, it's His goodness that leads people to repentance. Repentance leads you to salvation. In Matthew, it says, the, the, the um, um, meat, I can't even. But I can't even quote it right now. But uh, Jesus talked about how repentance is, leads you to salvation. There's a godly sorrow and there's a worldly sorrow. And the godly sorrow, it, there's no regrets. It leads you to salvation. 
Repentance is not salvation in itself. Repent. If all you do is repent from sin, but you don't come to Jesus, that is not repentance. You're turning to Jesus and away from sin. Yes, you're turning away from sin, but if you're not turning to Jesus, if all you're doing is turning from sin, but not to Jesus, that is not salvation. How can you get saved just because you're not sinning? That does not make you holy. That does not make you righteous. Am I all about not sinning? Amen, 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 amen. But that being alone by itself, you cannot save yourself because you're not sinning. You repent and turn to Jesus. And by turning to Jesus, you're turning from sin. If Jesus is not part of the formula, if Jesus is not the main message, then who are you preaching? Because Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, if you're preaching a different gospel, if you're preaching a different Jesus, then you are a curse. And he said, in case you didn't hear me right, I'll say it again. And I'm not trying to be mean, folks. This is important. Because people's lives are dependent on it. And I'm not interested in playing church. I'm not interested in playing games. I'm not interested in being... I told God years ago, you know, if, if we're just going to play church, I'm not doing this. We've got to do the real deal. And Jesus is enough. The cross is enough. His propitiation is enough. His love is enough. And we, by this time, should be teachers of the first principles of the Word of God. Am I saying we can't teach about other stuff? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, but we need to make sure this is established. What's the point of talking about anything else if the people that we're teaching don't even understand the first principles? What's the point? To what end? I'm all about the gifts. I'm all about the Holy Spirit. And I, I don't know how you can really teach the first principles without the gifts and without the Holy Spirit. At the same point in time, we're teaching Jesus. Can you go to heaven if you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Can you go to heaven if you haven't received Jesus? No. Can you go to heaven if you have if you if you turn to Jesus? Yes. Are you go to heaven if you only return from your sins but you haven't received Jesus? No. Because anything that's not a faith in Jesus is sin. And I'm not against I, I, I hate sin. Sin is stupid. Sin is ugly. Sin will cost you more than you want. will take you further than you want to go. Sin is wrong. But so is preaching anything but Jesus. Okay? Filled with his fullness. I'm wrapping this up. I got off on the... Uh, 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 let me bring this back. We talked in many lessons before, and we were talking about the four prayers of Paul and the second prayer that we talked about. We talked from Ephesians chapter 3. We talked about how that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There's that word faith again. That you've been rooted and grounded in love. These two words are, again, uh, hand in hand. May comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ. What's the love of Christ? Not that he loved us, but that he, we love he loved us. I don't remember if I said it right. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and became the propitiation of our sins. When we know this love of Christ, which passes intellectual knowledge. Intellectual knowledge is good. 
But this love, our propitiation of our sins, surpasses that. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Because if you know the love of Christ that I just talked about this morning, you are filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. What power? Well, in chapter 1, he talked about the same power to raise Christ from the dead, and that would apply here. But he just talked about having the fullness of God. If you have the fullness of God, is there anything more powerful than God? Is there anything more powerful than His fullness? Is there anything more power than His propitiation that raised Christ from the dead? That power is working inside of you. And is that power able to do exceedingly more than you could ever ask or think? Because it's done according to the power of His propitiation. His fullness is in you. What power? The power of His love. What is love? This is love. That He loves you. And that He sent Jesus to be a propitiation. The power of His love. The gospel is the power of God. Romans 1.16 And the gospel reveals His righteousness. Romans 1.17 for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believeth in his faith. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. That's what we've been talking about this morning. As it is written, the just shall live by his faith. The gospel is the birth, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus in a simple form. is death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Okay? The gospel reveals his righteousness. The gospel reveals his propitiation. Because this is love. That he sent Jesus to be our propitiation. Okay. First John 14. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And we have known and believed this love. The love that God has for us. And God is there. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And I'm rounding third base here, and we're almost out of time. We're going to talk real quickly about our Father's love. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold, we're going to look at that word more intently next week, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. In Luke chapter 15, we have what we call the prodigal son. And in context, at the beginning of the chapter, it says that then the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, Jesus, to hear him, Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. That was the context. That's what the context was going on. It's from this context that Jesus talked about the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son. It was in this context that Jesus gave these three parables. And we know the parable of the lost son. That's where we're going to pick it up in verse 11. And then he, and then he, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me 
so he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, that there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. <coughs> then he went out and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his field to so be swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the paws of the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, I came to his senses. He said, How many of my, my father's hired servants have bread enough to from the to spare that I perish with hunger? <coughs> Verse 18. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and compassed had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and get before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, but the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and the sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Let's talk about sonship real quick. We're almost out of time. You know, he put, he, when the father reinstated him as son, he put a, what I believe we call the robe of righteousness, the ring of authority, and the sandals of sonship. Because servants didn't wear sandals. Sons did. Okay? And the, the, the fat of cat. And just my own personal note, Jesus was not a vegetarian. Okay? Uh, take it or leave it, but anyway. That's not my main message here, but I just have to throw that in there. Okay? Let's pick up the story and we'll come back. For this my son was dead and alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. But the love of God, remember, we're talking about in context, but, but the love of God compels us because he does it that if one died for all, then all died. We'll come back to that. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to his house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted cow. But he was angry and would not go in, therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. But he answered and said, answered and said to his father, Though these many years I have been serving you, and I have never transgressed your commandments at any time, and you had never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours came, who devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all I have is yours. There's a lot I can elaborate on. We're almost out of time, but let me sum this up like this. The younger brother believed he was unworthy because of what he had done wrong. The older brother believed he was worthy because of what he had done right. Remember in context, Jesus was, was ministering to the sinners. He was ministering to the prodigals. And the religious leaders were complaining that he was doing that. So this whole message was not so much about the prodigal. It has a beautiful story about repentance and, and reconciliation, which we have been talking about. Okay, But it's really a story about this older son who derided and complained about how Jesus was ministering to the sinners. Okay, 
But the older, younger son thought he was unworthy because of what he had done wrong. The older brother thought he was worthy because he had done right. And both sons were wrong. Both sons were loved because they were sons. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. There is nothing we can do to earn his love, and there is nothing we can do to forfeit his love. Like the younger brother, we can only receive his love, and like the older brother, we can only reject his love. That doesn't mean he doesn't love us. We either have a choice to receive it like the younger, or we can reject it like the older brother. See, the older brother, the older brother not only rejected his brother, but he also rejected his father. He wouldn't even go inside to be with his father. See, First John 3.23 says, And this is the commandment that we should first believe on the name of Jesus and love one another as, ours, as he gave us commandment. First John 4.20 says this, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he does not know, he does not love his brother whom he has seen. How can he love the God? Love God whom he has not seen. Zephaniah 3.17 says this. I'm, I'm hurried up and we're out of time. But the love, he says, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. And he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. And he will joy over thee with singing. I want to read this from the Amplified real quick. The Lord your God in, is in, your, in the midst of you. A mighty one, a Savior who saves. And he will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in silent satisfaction. And in his love, he will be silent and make no mention of past sins or even recall them. He will exult over you with singing. There's a lot I can elaborate. I love this, this, this verse in Zephaniah 3.17. I just love that he is he rest, he's totally satisfied with his love for you. He's not mixing past sins or even recalling why? Because Jesus crucified them. He became sin and crucified. You are the righteous God in Christ Jesus. And when you know his love, you will live more righteously. Because as Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by the faith of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you know his love, when you know this right, when you're establishing this love, you're establishing righteousness, you will live more righteous, you will live more godly, you will live more holy. Why? Because that's who you are. Okay? And his grace will teach you, Titus uh, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, his grace will teach you how to live a godly life and how to deny godliness. And in conclusion, real quick, his banner over you is love. In the Song of Songs, Solomon wrote this. He says, He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. You know, in Exodus, it says, And Moses built an altar and called his name, The Lord is my banner. We had a teaching series earlier this year talking about the, the eight or the seven redemptive names of God. And one of those names was Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is our banner. The banner stands for standard. Because God's standard over us is love. God's banner over us is love. If, if I am above you, 
When God was talking about Jehovah Nisi, this was what happened in Exodus 17. This was when Moses stood up and had his arms up, and Joshua won the battle. When his arms were up, they were winning. When his arms were down, were were were, were they were losing. And it was there that, that God, God revealed himself as Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, your banner. Because when God is above you, you will have the victory. The Lord is our victory, okay? And his victory over us, his banner over us, his standard over us is love, which is our propitiation. His propitiation is your banner. His love is your banner. The, God's banner over you is love, his propitiation for your sins. Again, Psalm of Solomon, Psalm of Solomon says, My beloved is mine, and I am his. his he feeds his flock among the lilies. First chapter 4, verse 7 says, You are all fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. I love this verse. Because this speaks about, because he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We're going to look at this more closely as we go forward. But there's no spot in us. There's no spot in us. Why? Because, you know, Jesus. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This concludes our third lesson of being established in his love. I have a lot more to talk about the subject and a whole new teaching, a whole new course that we will have uh, coming in, in the new year. Next week, we're going to look at this word, Behold. We've introduced it many times already, but we're going to look at it a lot more attentively in one whole hour as we talk about behold. Okay, as we're talking about being established in his righteousness. And we're going to look at this word behold in connection with our topic. God bless you guys. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock and have a good week. God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you all, Mr.